Hola, hola, hola. You're listening to Se Ves Escucha, Seen and Heard, a language justice podcast for interpreters and everyone else who interprets and trains interpreters and goes to interpreter trainings. I'm Ada. And I'm Andrea. We're here at the studios of 103.3 Asheville FM in Asheville, North Carolina. We're here with our compas Manuel and Leonel. And today we'll be talking about what it takes to go from being a bilingual person to a social justice interpreter to a language justice worker. And to have this conversation, we have a very special guest, the one and only Esta Soy Yo, a.k.a. Grandma, Monse Ramirez. <laughs> Grandma, bienvenida. Hi, um, thank you for having me today. Monse, cuéntanos un poquito de ti. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, my name is Monse Ramirez. I am 22 years old and I live here in Fairview, North Carolina, which is pretty close to Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I am on the staff as a bilingual regional organizer for Southerners on New Ground or SONG. Um, I'm also a healer, an herbalist apprentice, and many other cool things. Nice, nice. So as I was driving over here, Monta, I was thinking about how you have really done it all. You have participated in CPC's language justice interpreter trainings. You've gone to and organized uh, monthly interpreter practice sessions. You started a interpreter high school club at Irwin High, which is a local high school here. You are a language justice trainer. You are a star in the CPC videos. Uh, you are a worker owner at Sensontle Language Justice Co-op. Um, so tell us a little bit about how that journey has been for you. Well, it's been really great and I'm so thankful to both of y'all um, and I think I came in to this work through the workshop from CPC that y'all held and I came in there not really knowing what language justice was or what interpreting was or literally not what social justice was either um, and I think I came into there and I was like wow this is something that um, is really interesting that I'm really good at and that I had never really thought about before that I had done growing up with like my family, just interpreting with them and um, going to the doctor's visits and to school meetings and um, is something that I could do um, as a career or as a hobby. And yeah, I just came in here into the workshop and just really learned a lot. Mm -hmm. Can you please share, mm -hmm. besides just learning a lot, can you please share your first impressions <laughs> of us? Mm -hmm. Well, now that I know y'all, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think about y'all differently. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I was this little like 17-year-old teenager um, who really knew nothing about y'all's world. Um, and I walked into this like house um i think it was like the quaker meeting uh -huh, house yeah. here in asheville um and i just walked in not really knowing anybody um our friend jackie had mm -hmm. invited us or had invited me and when i walked in there was like this strange smell happening and i was like what are they <laughs> what is it you know? that's what you yeah, were yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 um no, but um, yeah, it smelled like sage, and I, at the time, I didn't really know 
like what it was i was like why does it smell like axila like aren't they? <laughs> um and all the chairs were like in a circle mm. and i was like where am i like mm. what is this <laughs> and then i saw the both of y'all and um yeah and i was like wow and then y'all started sharing about y'all's lives i learned about andrea's childbirth mm-hmm. ada's love life yep. um but it was a really sweet space that's awesome. And I think here we have to do a shout out to our number one uh, recruiter, which is Jackie Fitzgerald, who was like, I know this young person through the migrant ed program. Is it okay if they come? And we're like, well, how young? Um, 17. <laughs> and we're like, ah, see, 17 is Italian, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 17 is okay. Uh-huh. Um, and I can remember uh, both of us being so impressed. Like there's a point in the uh, interpreter training where we do simultaneous interpretation with the equipment. And I remember like everyone who uh, had a chance to hear you interpret was like, oh shit, like, mm-hmm. ahí está, like she's, she's got it. She's got it. Like, who's that? ¿Cómo la reclutamos? Like, uh-huh. what do we, what do we need to do? And I think that that also had such an impact on then what we focused on in terms of bringing in new interpreters. And because for a long time, mm-hmm. we had kind of been working with people who had been interpreting mm-hmm. in some way professionally. And it was like, come into the language justice world. And then we met you and we were like, God, we could be working with young people. We could be working with high school students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the first thing that we recruited uh, Monse to was uh, language justice videos. Um, <laughs> and uh, Manuel is part of that story, too. Uh, but Monse, tell us a little bit about uh, what that was like and also uh, your mom uh, and your sisters. Like, Tell us about what it was like with your family, like trying to... Like you had started with this like language justice thing or with this interpreter thing. And then you were like building bridges with with your family. So what was that like? Yeah. And I remember whenever we were recording the videos, we went to Manuel's house. I think it was like raining or snowing. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. snowing yeah. um, in Hendersonville. And we just showed up. And I remember I brought my mom because I think at the time I didn't drive. Uh-huh. So my mom took me. <laughs> And my sister was there too. I was like, "We're gonna film some videos." Like, she's like, "Who? Who is this strange people's uh-huh. house you're uh-huh. going to <laughs> in the middle of like Hendersonville?" So she was like, "I boy, I boy." So they came along, and we were there till like very mm-hmm. late, actually. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom was like, "Manuel, otro chilango." Uh, <laughs> I confianza. She, she I confianza. Really yes. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then she. Was like okay, like estamos aquí, we're here. Let's let's be in the videos. So my little sister was in the video. Uh-huh. I think at the time, I don't know how old she was. Um, I can't do math, but uh, yeah, they were both in there. And what did your family say to you when you were like, "Oh, I'm like working as an interpreter"? Hmm, good question. I don't remember exactly what they said to me, but they were like, "That's cool. Like you're making money." <laughs> um that's pretty cool i don't think they they knew like about language justice and i don't think like back then i knew like the depth of what language justice is and what all it encompasses and i think they were just like happy that i was doing something i guess i remember that we really appreciated that they trusted us Mm -hmm. we kept having these moments like monse's mom keeps letting her come with Mm -hmm. us and doing all these things Mm -hmm. Um, and just really, really realizing that you had so much support of your family, and then we had this trust from your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made it just such a precious relationship. Y tú has contado antes de del poema de Gloria Saldúa. So um, I always think about you with that poem and kind of like that being a turning point. So if you'll tell us about that. 
Yeah, and I think the first time I heard Gloria Antaldua, specifically the poem Borderlands or from the, um, whatever it's called. But yeah, I definitely remember like just my relationship to language. And I think that this, like this whole journey of being an interpreter and speaking more Spanish and wanting to, to speak more Spanish and wanting to have people have access to like their language mm -hmm. and being able to to speak and communicate in spaces in whatever language they feel most comfortable in has definitely been like a healing mm -hmm. journey for me uh, and a healing process, just being able to connect to my own roots and like Espanol and mm -hmm. like Spanglish and just like that poem really spoke to me in a way that, hey, like it's okay, si no hablas perfecto el español. Mm -hmm. if, um, And yeah, just like being able to claim that as my own and like Spanglish as a part of my identity mm -hmm. and yeah, something that is me. I remember once too, your your dad came and helped us out. Do you remember That's that? Right. And we were doing a thing, an interpreter <laughs> evaluation and we wanted guests to come and tell That's different right. kinds oh of stories gosh. with like all different <laughs> kinds of vocabulary. Do you uh -huh. remember what your dad talked about? Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> the interpreters remember they were like, yes. "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember that. Um, and I think my mom also came and right, talked a little right. bit. But yeah, my dad's a dairy farmer, and I live on a dairy farm, and have lived basically my entire life, or at least a large part of my life, on a dairy farm. So he came and um, like was just talking about like delivering baby calves uh -huh. and like all the whatever goes into delivering baby calves but and just like about his work and I think that was one of the times that I've heard him talk the most about delivering baby calves it's a lot of or, farm vocabulary yeah. but yeah. it was also very poetic he had this like very beautiful way of talking about it. I remember <laughs> all of us were just like because it was like it's late at night porque siempre da, like empiezan uh -huh. a like tener sus crías en la noche yo uh -huh. voy and all that <laughs> And they know what to do, but yeah. you're there to support them. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, What's happening? that is brilliant <laughs> and beautiful. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, what do you think, Monse, uh, what's been like some of the challenges that you have? Yeah, what are some of the challenges that you face like becoming an interpreter? Also another good question. I think that definitely um, in terms of actually doing interpretation, it's... For me, what has been more challenging is just like being confident mm -hmm. in that I can do this mm -hmm. um, and just kind of like getting into the rhythm and like finding out like what you need to do like before and after, like during, like um, like what you need, like being on the mic and just feeling comfortable and feeling confident and feeling supported mm -hmm. and like having a good Um, relationship with your co-interpreter or your partner or just being in like relationship to like the events that are happening um, and I think like as a community interpreter that happens a lot um, where I'm like usually in spaces interpreting uh, for events that I have been involved in mm -hmm. or um, know the folks involved in so I think it's like just like that confianza um, building that trust and that like relationship to the work and to the to the space has helped me a lot in feeling more confident and I think that also it just comes with like doing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Monse and I have recently been interpreting together um, 
in a couple of vigils after uh, some ice raids here in Western North Carolina. And I've really appreciated working with you because we know that these are going to be difficult gigs. And I think over the years we've talked about like how interpreting exposes you to all of these stories, how it exposes you to other people's trauma. And, and I believe like has a physical effect on kind of like going through your your body and so i've really appreciated you the last couple of times that we've gone to interpret at these vigils like getting there ahead of time um monse's got like her estuchito she's got her little bag of quartz and rose water and memory spray sage um and i think we've done a good job working together and i think that that helps sometimes to be able to remind each other and to be able to work with a partner this way because if i was showing up with a new co-interpreter to be like do you want some memory spray or lavender or <laughs> <laughs> this tincture right um because we set up the space and um once i had these huge two rose quartzes and people ahora ya se están riendo de nosotros pero that's fine <laughs> Um, we had these two root, huge rose quartzes, so we kind of like formed this like shield around this, this like energy shield around us. And then when we finished interpreting, um, you had some tincture, um, some like heartbreak tincture to kind of like take care of our corazoncitos. Um, we tried to like find earth afterwards to like kind of like release some of that energy. Y luego nos fuimos a tomar una margarita. Mm-hmm. And so I think we did a really All good job. All important ingredients. And so I think we did a little a, a good job about like the before and the after. And I think that that's that's sometimes sometimes hard because we are busy folks because we are doing a lot of things at the same time. And it's like I'm gonna rush to this gig, and I know half of the people there, and they're asking me to set up the table, and they're also asking me to like go talk to the press. Blah blah blah. And so I think I really appreciate working with you in these difficult moments because you've taught me a lot about. Um, just that set up and taking care of self before, during, and after. And I think you've taught mm-hmm. all of us a lot about mm-hmm. that. I was yeah. this weekend. I was uh, participating in a gathering of people from my neighborhood, and Jackie and Patti were interpreting. Um, and I, we, ne- I know we never would have been doing these things if it wasn't for you. They set up the equipment, and they were like, "This is how the equipment works, and it takes all of us, and we create the space together." And because it takes all of us and we're doing this together, we've also brought these tinctures and we're going to place them on the table and this is for us to hold the space. And I was thinking, I never could have imagined when we go over the like how mm-hmm. to set up the multilingual yeah. space, but pre-Monse, it did not yeah. include yeah. sharing even uh, healing tools with participants to be able to acknowledge that creating spaces for language justice and healing, it needs all of these tools in the toolkit. And I think that that's something that you've really brought to the work. So did you want to say a little bit more about kind of where like this healing justice and language justice comes together for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said before, uh, just being an interpreter and being part of this language justice work um, has been a healing process for me. Um, I think like just even growing up here mm-hmm. in the United States, uh, I'm, I was brought here when I was about five or six years old and just even having to learn another language was like just filled a lot with a lot of trauma and I remember I would run away from the school bus whenever it would come to pick me up just because I wasn't able to communicate with my teachers or classmates um, and just learning this whole other language um, was always like so ingrained into me and like 
no hables español. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just like always English all around me. Um, and I think I either consciously or subconsciously um, started to just only speak English or try to speak English more. Um, the way I would say my name was like very English. Um, the way, yeah, just everything around me was always English, English all the time. And I think being able to use my Spanish and using it as a skill um, was really like eye-opening for me. And just really healing in a way that was like, wow, my Spanish is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like just me being able to use this language and being able to use English also mm -hmm. as a way to bridge language barriers and having people communicate in the language that feels most authentic for them has definitely been really beautiful and healing and I think has also like kind of like forced me to do a little bit of um like internal work mm. it's like um yeah so it's it's been a process and just like learning and being in spaces and I think also through interpreting I was able to experience a lot of um like just being able to go to different spaces and different organizing spaces different um like other ways of thinking um so yeah very very many opportunities have been open through interpretation and just yeah doing the work so that makes me um i guess i want to ask you golden do you have another one no no um i want to ask once what is your interpreting pet peeve huh that's a good Get the one choca. Give me choca. Well, first of all, I really, <laughs> I really. Like, where do I start? <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> first of all, um, no, I don't think it's like having to do with interpreting this one at least, but just like whenever people call interpretation translation, <laughs> um, and I used to do that too, uh -huh. but now that I know, I'm like, is that translation? <laughs> um, But yeah, interpretation is the spoken and then or visual message and then translation is the written message. Mm. Um, spoken like a true trainer. Uh -huh. mira, mira, mira. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't think I have any like pet peeves that I can think of right now. Um, yeah. What would you what are kind of like tips or advice that you would give people who are bilingual or multilingual? What are like tips that you would give them to like How do you go from like being bilingual to being an interpreter? sugerencias tienes? Well, in the wise words of mm. Ada or Andrea Golden, <laughs> <laughs> tell us uh, more. Sí, sí, sí. <laughs> <laughs> being bilingual does not an interpreter mm -hmm. make. Um, so I think it's something that you have to want to do, and I think it's also something that it's like if you want to help people i feel like a lot of the times mm. as being a trainer as like just being myself and learning how to interpret or learning about language justice is it comes from a place of like you want to help mm -hmm. you want to yeah. be able to be that that like person that can have this talent to connect these two people that don't speak the same language mm. um and i think it comes from a place of like wanting to help and if you have that desire and that like want yes lo que quieras hacer i think 
um, being an interpreter gives you like allows you to to do that to use your skills as a way to create these these beautiful multilingual spaces Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but how do you build those skills Mm -hmm. like how Mm -hmm. did you go from walking into that workshop realizing that you had been doing this your whole life and then Mm -hmm. taking that and moving it to being a worker owner in a co-op like what's that what's that journey like what's the practice like Mm -hmm. Well, definitely Andrea and Ada not letting me go. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, because we love you. <laughs> yes. Because we love you. <laughs> I'm here because I want to. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Um, but yeah, definitely just having spaces to to practice. And like I said, just feeling confident and with that, like, toma practica, mm-hmm. you have to to put it into practice. Like, there's one thing, learning the concrete right. skills, and then there's another one, using them, putting into practice, asking questions. Um, and it's a lot. Like, yeah, it is a process. Like, vas al workshop, uh-huh. you go to the workshop, yeah. you learn these skills, and you're like, okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I learned all these skills. Mm-hmm. Now what do I do with mm-hmm. them? Um, but I really appreciated the practice spaces, and I think that that's one thing that, well, one among many that y'all do very well is um, not only giving these concrete skills and these ideas and these methodologies, but also providing a space where folks can go and practice them and really be like, oh, that's why they talk about this, because this happens, and yeah, just like, really having a space to practice and also like in a practice space, mm-hmm, but also right. providing gigs that right. folks can go practice at right. and just be on the mic and really see how it all goes down. Yeah. I feel like that first year when you came into our lives, we had, I can't remember if it was like spoken or unspoken, but maybe like a spoken commitment. Like every time we yeah. get an out of town gig, Traemos we're taking a Monte, Right. We're going to hit the road as much as we can. We're going to get like out of town overnight. Mm -hmm. Just kind of like really get immersed and just commit to building this together. Right. And I can't remember uh, how we did it as far as like how the shadowing worked. But I remember, um, I think the first one was was going to Raleigh or Chapel Hill. And it was like, help us set up the equipment, Mm -hmm. like listen in. Uh, maybe do the introduction of the equipment or how the multilingual space is going to be set up together. Then listen in while one of us is interpreting. Then maybe um, repeating just to yourself while one of us is interpreting. And the goal was that by the end of the gig, you would have a 15 minute or 20 minute like turn on the mic. But I'm just thinking for folks who are listening to the podcast, like la, la inversión, y, y, la inversión que totalmente valió la pena, pero it, it, it took... It, it was like almost, I don't know if it was a year, but it took kind of like, como dijiste, like not letting go and to be like, you have this dawn, like you have this skill, like, um, like, I don't know, I just feel like, like, ven con nosotros, like, vente, 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 vente. Um, and so I think the practice, like the real life in the community on the ground practice, and then the space um, to practice within other interpreters. And that's a little bit more of a space but where you have the opportunity to talk to your peers around like, I'm not really sure what to do when people say this or how are folks handling gender neutral language? How are folks handling emotions? How are folks? And so that's kind of like those those two spaces that we've we've played a part in. Do you want to talk a little bit about the interpreter club at Irwin? Uh, sure. 
Um, yeah, so this past year, this past year, right? No. I was, no, how, how years ago? No. Two years ago? Yeah, because this past year we did the, just the Young Interpreters Club, not connected to a school. Mm-hmm. It's been two years? No, you're not saying. Wait a minute. When I was a fellow at CPC, um, one of my my ideas or my yeah. tasks, I don't know what you would call it, um, was hosting this interpreter club for young folks because um, it was really important for me to provide like a space for young folks specifically because I came in at that age, mm-hmm. that high school age, into this work and it was really important for me to be doing this work and just a lot important, like I said, for like my healing process and just like learning and growing uh, into the language, into Spanish, into English, uh, into all the things. Um, and I wanted to create this space where younger folks or mm-hmm. even folks in that same age range could also experience this like beauty of language justice and um, finding out that these skills like aprender inglés y saber español like it wasn't in vain you know mm-hmm. um, right. and just providing the space for young folks and to to learn these skills to be like hey like I can do mm-hmm. this like mm-hmm. I can make this much money mm-hmm. an hour mm-hmm. um, yeah. I can put this down on my college resume mm-hmm. or whatever um, but yeah it was really just an idea of like wow if it really meant that much mm-hmm. to me like imagine and what I can do now, imagine what younger folks or folks my same age might be able to do as well. And then the first year, um, CPC decided to do the high school club kind of like within the high school, after school, three to five. Mm-hmm. Um, and that had its pros and its cons. And we decided there was maybe more cons than pros. And so we tried it again still with young people, but mm-hmm. outside of the school. So I don't know, Golden, if you want to talk a little bit more about how that has gone? Yeah, it went great. So we kind of put the call out like all people from 16 to 19. And you know us, we're not like super strict. So it was like 16-ish to 19-ish. Um, and we had 12, mm-hmm. 12 uh, people that we worked with for four months, once a week, uh, every Monday from 6 to 8. Um, and me and Elizabeth worked with them. Um, Monse's younger sister joined the is. club. Well, Monse, your sister was in it back from when you were organizing yeah. the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just so beautiful to see from working from that club. Um, some of those young people will do uh, summer internships with our co-op. Some of them are going to come to CPC's annual training. And so just remembering that it takes creating the space. Right. And it takes making a relationship mm-hmm. where people feel like we can reach out to each other, we can encourage each other, we can be there for each other. And I think, too, it came from the reflection and reflecting Ada and I on people took the time to bring us into this work. So, you know, back in the day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people sat down with Ada mm-hmm. and I, yep. took us on the road whether it was to be interpreters or trainers or popular educators or Mm -hmm. organizers, but it Mm -hmm. took people who were older than us being patient with us, making space for us, believing in us, like a total leap of faith, believing in us and just kind of thinking, 
how grateful we were for that and remembering that, that now that's kind of like looking nos toca. It's mm-hmm. our turn. Yeah. I guess I have a couple other things I wanted to, to ask Monse. And I think um, you've been around uh, a lot of groups and organizations and <coughs> uh, community groups, uh, nonprofits. So I want to ask you about um, what tips you have for organizations that want to be uh, bilingual or multilingual. Like, what have you seen? Uh, what's been your experience? You know, that typical, like, we want to provide interpretation. Like, we want to translate our flyer website, you know, blah, blah, blah. What What have you seen that, like, works? Yeah, well, there's one thing, providing access mm-hmm. um, and having your flyers mm-hmm. translated mm-hmm. and providing interpreters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's another thing, incorporating language justice mm-hmm. as a practice mm-hmm. and as a value into your organization. And I think that that's where you have to find like the difference, like what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it goes a lot more deep than just providing interpretation and um, providing translations. And it's a lot and it takes mm-hmm. time. It takes effort. Mm-hmm. It takes a budget. Um, and I think sometimes um, folks are like, yes, I want to do this. I'm ready. But it's like, are you? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a process. It takes a long time. And I think that that's something that we saw uh, with some organizations that we've worked with, that it's not just like, let me hire interpreters right. and let me get this translated. It's a, it's a, whole, it's a whole deal. Mm-hmm. I've heard you ask before, mm-hmm. you know, are you willing to kind of push it back on English as a dominant language, which mm-hmm. is different than having an interpreter just in case someone shows up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that with language justice, there's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's, like you're saying, definitely having a balance of both English and Spanish and not just providing interpretation for folks who don't speak mm-hmm. English um, or whatever language it may be. And yeah, it's just definitely like so many things like doing outreach, mm-hmm. um, having a budget to pay interpreters to have translations done. And I think sometimes folks don't have that in mind, but it does take a lot of money. It does take a lot of time and it does take a lot of building relationships mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so lastly, Grandma, um, <laughs> what do you love about interpreting? Hmm. Well, I love a lot of things about interpreting. Um, and I think what I love is just being in spaces, just being able to meet new folks, off the mic, of mm-hmm. course. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, being able to to see a lot of things. I love going to gigs out of town and getting to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's pretty cool. But I think what I love is being able to to hear Spanish and English and just being a part of creating that multilingual space where someone may be speaking English and then another person answers them in Spanish and just that beautiful like back and mm-hmm. forth of like seamless communication in like where people might not have been able to communicate otherwise. Awesome. 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 Pues. Muchísimas gracias. Thanks so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. Gracias por invitarme. I love having you here. 
<laughs> okay, so thanks to the studios of 103.3 Asheville FM, WSFM LP in Asheville, North Carolina. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cerveza Escucha or on Twitter at SVSE Podcast. On behalf of Manuel de la Luz of Mente Visual Films, Leonel Gutierrez of GBD Productions, and Andrea Golden and Ada Volkmer of the Center for Participatory Change, muchísimas gracias. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Mente Visual Films and GBD Productions. Music by Combo Chimbita. I can you